it's a great privilege to, to be here among you again. It's been about four and a half years uh, since we were here last time. And our position hasn't changed. What we've been sent to do hasn't changed. Uh, some of the things we um, well, actually shared last message here, that's exactly what we've been doing. And we covered just a few things of those as the introduction, outline, and, uh, and just a brief testimony before I get into preaching the word. Uh, let's open up with a word of prayer first. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, Lord, for being here amongst the brethren, Lord. We thank you for your your truth, Lord, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray the word of God would have free course and be glorified in every heart. Pray, Lord, that uh, you would have your way, Lord, you guide me as I seek to preach your word and honor you in every way. In Jesus' name, amen. I do appreciate your prayers as uh, I continue on uh, with the ministry that uh, the word of God truly would have free course and touch every heart and have its effect. I want to thank you so much. Uh, first off, it does say in Romans 11, 31, 11, Romans 11, verse 31, Even so of these also, now not believed, that through your mercy they also may obtain mercy. And that's uh, the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel ministry is to, to, for people to obtain mercy of the Lord, but particularly in context here, Israel. So it's a great privilege to be sent by God through local church here for the work in Israel. Now, uh, it's very clear where the rapture is imminent. We're going to be going to, uh, to be with the Lord. And it's, whose responsibility is it to preach the gospel right now? It's our responsibility. God's given it. He doesn't give it to responsibility to angels. There will come a time when uh, the 144,000 have been killed. Then it's going to be the angel's job to do it. But until that, let's mention uh, Revelation 14. Let's have a look, little look at Revelation chapter 7 first, just to see what God's about to do. So we're at a, a, a change, a changing of dispensations now. God's almost finished here, in fact, very close to the end. And, of course, that exhortation in Hebrews, we ought to consider one another to provoke unto love and a good works, and, some, and not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as a manner of some is, but uh, uh, exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see today approaching. That's a ex- very clear exhortation to be in fellowship all the time, the closer we get to the end. The adversary is trying to take out the Christians any which way he can and cause division, so we need to be close. As we go to the end, we get very close. Verse uh, Chapter 7, verse 1, we'll read a few verses here. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed. They were sealed in hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. goes on to just mention the tribes. We move down to verse 9. After this, I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and peoples and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood 
round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honour and power and might be unto our God for ever and ever. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Now, just uh, it does mention in this text that the servants, these, these uh, in verse 3, it talks about these men being servants. When the Apostle Paul got saved, what did he say? He said, Lord, what we have me to do. He was a servant. He was very busy from that point, wasn't he? In the ministry of the word. And uh, Isaiah, when he had the vision of the Lord, he, he uh, entreated the Lord to send him. And of course, he was very busy in the ministry of the word also, in prophecy and ministry in the word. So these men, after the church is taken, these men are going to be the servants of the Lord. If we, if we go over to chapter 14... Chapter 14. Just read a couple of verses here. Verse 1. And notice this immediately after 13 where uh, the, the, there is a, um, the beast cause of all, both small and great, to receive uh, a mark in their right hand or their forehead. So they're going to, uh, there's going to be a great, um, a lot of murder, a lot of slain during that time. And notice in chapter 14, verse 1, And I looked, a lower lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him an hundred and forty and four thousand, having their father's name written in their foreheads. And we go down to 4 and 5, because it describes their character here. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the lamb, whithersoever he goeth. These were redeemed from, from among men, being the firstfruits unto God and to the lamb. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Now in Israel where we are, it's a great privilege. It's, a, it's an amazing spot we're actually in because we've got a lot of religious Jews around them. A, a, a seminary yeshiva right around the corner and actually the head of the yeshiva is right across the road and various rabbis there. And so the fact that we're still there is amazing because they know what we're up to. But um, it really is a miracle. Uh, but these, these men, these young men, what they... What they do is with Jewish people, young people, they try and get their young people, particularly from about 13, they bring them up in religious schools to, as they grow up, about 13 onwards to about 21. They like to put them in, I guess what you say, religious seminaries where they taught from, the, from early in the morning till in the evening, from 11 to, about 7.30 in the morning till prayers begin to about 11 o'clock at night. They're taught um, what the rabbis say. They're not taught the Bible, they're taught what the rabbis say. And so there's probably over 150,000 of these followers in Israel. And there'll be obviously many in other parts of the world where they have these yeshivas and these seminaries, uh, yeshivas they're called, and religious schools. And so, um, but when you talk to them, the young ones particularly, because what they do is they say, if you keep doing what we tell you and obey the rabbi, when you get to about 21, we'll give you a wife and propagate this Judaism. They're not saying uh, the word of God, learn how to divide the word of God and, and, and go just by what God has to say. No, they follow the rabbi. So they've got this religious system, but there's, um, and they're very intent on keeping them away from uh, the faith uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ, very much intent on that. But it's interesting how I believe God is going to choose these specific followers 
to do his work. Not to say that when, but when the rapture happens, maybe our neighbours will get saved as well. There's going to be other people who will, will respond to the gospel, but these specifically. And so the Lord has given us a great open door of opportunity to get the word of God in amongst these. And I appreciate your prayer that as our, it's our duty and responsibility to preach the gospel to every creature. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repent. So God wants everybody to hear it. So it's our duty and responsibility, but our specific goal is to get the word into these. So we want the, we'd like to see Israel saturated with the gospel and with the knowledge of the imminent prophecy so everybody knows, and uh, that's our goal. So if you could pray fervently, uh, zealously for that, that the Lord will accomplish that through us and others. Um, that uh, he may be glorified and these will be ready to respond uh, when, they, uh, when the rapture happens. So we're excited about that, very excited. Ephesians 1.13 says, In whom ye trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after ye believed ye were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And so we're looking forward to that. So let's open up in our Bibles. What's going to happen after our rapture? Let's have a look at the, this verse. We started off with uh, um, in Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. Have a look at uh, probably verse 24. Would be a good place to start. And Okay, 24. If, if that were cut out of a wild olive tree out of the so if that were cut out of the tree uh, the olive tree which is wild by nature and were grafted contrary to nature in a good olive tree by the way should we harvest a lot of olives in Israel we normally would have harvested about a, th a ton by now uh, with the children but um, if when we go to areas where you got wild olive trees you say oh there might be some fruit over here nothing you may find one tiny little berry on it so it's interesting you know, you, you, when you actually see the, the, uh, a good olive tree and then you see a wild one. A wild one doesn't yield. How much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. And, and people have a doctrinal position that, that take Israel out of the picture they're ignorant of a v really a vast portion of the Bible, and often that comes with that scholarship, a lot of uh, pride and wisdom in their own conceits, following a doctrine rather than thus saith the Lord, a literal approach to Scripture and looking to compare Scripture with Scripture. They've got to do all sorts of things to come to that position or follow men in particular rather than God. So be wise in your own conceits that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So we should haste the day as we're getting close to that time in our soul winning. Verse 26, And so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. And so there's a very interesting portion of Scripture, but we should compare Scripture with Scripture. So let's Let's go back to Jeremiah 31, where it talks about this. Now, if you have some spare time, we should, uh, you want to look into this further. If you read Jeremiah chapter 30 to 33, you get this is stacked, packed, and racked with prophecies. It's, it's loaded. 
Uh, we'll just have a few, just have a, 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 just look at a few here. Uh, Jeremiah 31, we'll read 31, verse 31 to 37. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them saith the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I'll remember their sin no more now it's mentioned in Hebrews I believe 10 and 8 it's, it's also mentioned there but in context of Israel we just read it in I read about that in, in uh, Romans 11 let's carry on to see that See what God has to say concerning this, this covenant. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Now, does everyone notice the sun's still shining? And we had stars last night. So according to this verse, Israel is still a nation before the Lord, Lord of hosts. Uh, Thus saith the Lord, If heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. So again, he's reiterating very clearly that he's, even though they've been in sin, they're not going to be cast off. And that's a doctrinal basis of uh, a lot of false spurious doctrine that's been affecting churches for a long time in the guise of Calvinism, Reformed theology, uh, many Presbyterian churches, and even now Baptist churches are taking this position. But it's extremely wicked. It's completely contrary to God. His word and his nature. In fact, he identifies his name. He says he calls himself, if you do a search, the God of Israel. Specifically, over 200 times. The Lord God of Israel, over 100 times. So to attack God and his possession, his people, if someone started attacking your bride, what would you do? Would you be upset? How, how, how upset would you be? Well, there's no limit, is there? And so God is going to fulfill his promise. So anybody who actually stands against what God says here is on very dangerous ground. And really, uh, I'm afraid to be, but I want to be associated with them. And sadly, it's, it's crept into Christendom. I'll say another thing. A lot of people go on to Lake of Fire over this, or going to go to Lake of Fire. A lot of people in hell, because people have thought Christianity says, oh, God's got no plan for Israel. And this is completely contrary to what God has to say. And so if people had the right position of here, again, we're not talking about one or two scriptures, we're talking about hundreds and hundreds of scriptures. Um, Bible believers before Israel came into the land uh, acknowledged clearly that they have to get back in the land and be, for all these prophecies to be fulfilled, as clear as daylight. 
It's very clear. Otherwise, God would be a liar. If I made a promise to you that I was going to be somewhere at a certain time, what would that make me? I wasn't there. I said, I'm going to be here, I promise. So God's going to fulfill his promise or not? Otherwise... So it's an attack on God's character also. So to say that Israel doesn't exist or God isn't going to fulfill his plan with Israel, fulfill his purposes, it's an attack against God. It's an attack against Jesus. Because Jesus Christ has said he's going to come and reign. In fact, he said, let's, uh, I don't want to jump, jump the gun. Let's, let's have a look back. Because what, what I want to explain is how God is going to fulfill this. Let's have a look. Go back one chapter to Jeremiah 30, uh, verse 3. And we'll see Jeremiah 30, verse 3. It says there, For lo, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. How many Jews are living in Israel right now? Seven, eight million. Now, most people never believe this could have happened, being dispersed for about 2,000 years and back in the land. And these are the words that the Lord spake concerning Israel and concerning Judah. For thus saith the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask ye now, and see whether a man doth travail with child, ready to give birth. Wherefore do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail, and all faces are turned into paleness. All faces turn into paleness. Alas, for that day is, so that none is, it is even the time of Jacob's trouble. So God is going to fulfill his purpose. In fact, if you just read the, the first verse of Jeremiah 31, 31 verse 1. At the same time, saith the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. The verse previous to that, it's hard to, to stop reading, but the verse previous to that actually puts it in context. The fierce anger of the Lord shall not return until he have done it, until he have performed the intents of his heart. In the latter days, you shall consider it. And so a lot of people are considering it these days, but I pray that you... As a Bible believer and a worshiper of the Lord Jesus Christ will fall on the right side, you'll understand what God says, what he's going to do in the latter days. Um, and you will seek to influence Israel for their good and believe what God has, has said. We're going to see future. Um, I'll mention it now because it's really part of the preaching. There's uh, 27 therefores in the book of Romans and there's seven wherefores. So that's 34, right? 34 therefores and wherefores. But when you say therefore, you're building on a foundation, yes? And so if there's, um, I don't know where, uh, how many therefores or wherefores have been before chapter 11 there, but there's a lot. But if you seek to take out, say, the 20th story of a building, how's it going to go? It's not going to work. And so Romans is built very carefully. We're going to see the, the, the consequences of not believing God's word. And it's very, very serious. It's extremely serious. Um, let's have a look at Isaiah 28. That's in the, actually in the outline. Isaiah 28, verses 21 to 3. 21, verse 23. Just briefly there. Also describes this situation because it's in context of the whole earth. God's going to turn back to uh, start working with Israel. But the, uh, the consequences are going to be uh, worldwide tribulation. 
And so here he states it very clearly. Isaiah 28, verse 21. For the Lord shall rise up in Mount Perizim. He shall be wroth. This is a very strong word. As in the valley of Gibeon, that he may do his work, his strange work. Now, we know God is, a, is so gracious. Anyone who's a saved person should experience God's grace, his mercy, his kindness, his tenderness, all those characteristics. But to see God in wrath, pouring out his wrath, just destroying countless millions billions actually billions of people is going to be destroyed during this time it's strange it's a, it's a not normal characteristic and so he's holding this off there's no day like it there's no time like it but he's about to do it his strange work and bring to pass his act his strange act now therefore be ye not mockers and what people do actually we're just the other day we're just over here and a guy was mocking about the time of his return and we see that in the new testament they mock about god's judgment and time but it's going to happen be not mockers lest your bands be made strong for i have heard from the lord god of hosts a consumption even determined upon the whole earth give ye ear and hear my voice hearken and hear my speech Take that deeply in, because if you're not going to hear what God has to say, you mock or stand against it. Your bands, I haven't actually looked at the, the, the root word of that, but uh, in the Hebrew, I haven't really stated it out. But I guess what would, if you harden yourself, we saw that in, in, in Romans chapter 11, be not wise in your own conceits. So you want to mock about what God says he's going to do. It's ext- I don't know if there's anything more dangerous. Now, I, I could probably take a fair amount of mocking, but after a while I might respond. But God is not one to mock when he gives his word. Uh, if you're going to stand against it, well, then you're mocking God. And so he's determined a consumption on the whole earth. He's, he's, he's laid out his plan very clearly with Israel. He's fulfilling it. There's no excuse Israel's back in the land and all these things are just coming to pass. We actually live in an area where, where modern-day prophecy is being fulfilled, even the city we're living in. And all around, it's all these amazing biblical things happen and we see the way the people are so absolutely alive um, and so we ought not to receive any doctrine that's contrary to the doctrine of Christ the doctrine of God correct it's very very serious business we'll see that further on now uh, obviously um, at the end of this time of tribulation the seven years laid out in Daniel and Revelation the Lord's going to come let's have a look at Jesus promise to Israel uh, in Luke chapter 13, verse 35. Luke 13, verse 35. Thank you. And it says there, Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. And verily I say unto you, You shall not see me, Jesus is talking here, until the time come when you shall say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now, when, when, when are Israel likely to, to, to do that? At the second coming. Well, let's see when it is, when specifically um, they're going to respond to the Lord. The Lord's going to come. Let's have a look at that in Zechariah chapter 12. Zechariah chapter, I hope this is very clear to everyone. If it's not clear, you ask the Lord. He's the one who's able to make it, make it clear. I will say, as we turn to Zechariah 12, I see people all the time, if you on the street just over here the other day, a Lutheran fellow, he said, are you saved? He says, yes, I'm being baptized. Well, I started sharing from the Word of God, but he was not interested. I said, well, let's pray. He didn't want to pray. Let's just ask God. 
every doctor we just asked the Lord to show us the truth. He wasn't interested. His wife was actually interested, by the way. But if we, if we don't have a teachable heart, if we're not going to walk before the Lord with meekness, how could we ever expect him to share his secret with, him, with us? The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. So if you don't know, if you're not walking before God in fear and trembling in his word, I don't know how you're ever going to come to these truths. Now, that may be a, a blockage for anyone who's not maturing in Christ. There's no reason why every one of us should be not growing like a well-watered tree, well-kept well tree. Everyone should be prospering and growing. If you're not, there's, you, the problem is with you. You have, a, you have a problem. You need to fix it up. So let's have a look at this. Uh, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 9. Zechariah 12, verse 9. And it says there, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the spirit of grace and supplications. And they shall look upon me, who what? Whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one that mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. This describes genuine repentance. We'll probably, hopefully we'll get a chance to look at that a bit further later on. But this is real repentance. And if you haven't come to God in real repentance when you understand your sin and who Jesus Christ is, then perhaps you're not in the faith at all. If you're responding to this in uh, anything but a a meek, responsive way, then there's a, there's a problem between you and God because this is just clearly his word. It goes on to say, uh, 13, let's have a look at uh, third, chapter 13 about his uh, response there, verses 8 and 9. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8 and 9. It says there, and it, and it shall come to pass that in all the land, saith Lord, what does it say? Two parts therein shall be cut off and die. So there's going to be a great loss before they're going to receive him. They're going to respond. But the third shall be left therein. And I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. And they shall call on my name and I will hear them and I will say, it is my people. And they shall say, the Lord is my God. And so he's going to have his way. There's no, there's no wisdom or understanding or counsel against the Lord and there's nothing can stop him. In fact, it I might just say here in this text, if I remember correctly, I'm not going to work that one, but let's have a look at uh, 14 verse 9. 14 verse 9. Okay, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day. There shall, uh, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day. King over all all the earth in that day. There shall be, um, in that day shall there be one Lord and His name one. I'm trying to think about this other verse. I just quote it. Uh, I can't seem to find it, but uh, it does say um, that. Uh, all that gather themselves together against Jerusalem should be, all the nations should be cut in pieces, though all the nations of the earth be gathered together against it. And so it doesn't matter. God's no respecter of persons. He is respect to the righteous if you walk uprightly before him. But if it doesn't matter who you are, which family you're from, there's no consequence. He expects you to respond to him. So God is going to set up his kingdom. He's going to reign 
Um, the previous verse talks about the waters going from the both seas, and that's actually described in Ezekiel 47 as well. So that's another fulfillment you want to read from Ezekiel 40 to 47. That's the, that's the millennial reign, his, his kingdom is, is, is ruling from Jerusalem. And of course, we've got Ezekiel 38, 39 to go. We're in about Ezekiel 37 right now. So it's, it's chronological, and we're just, everything's in position for 38, 39. That's Russia and the militant Islamic nations to come against Israel. They're firing at the, I think, probably as we speak. There's, there's, uh, there's, uh, there's issues going on. Perhaps not in the street firing, but I know in recent times, I don't watch the news too much, but I hear of things. So all these things are going to come to pass. So as I mentioned, let's go back to um, the book of Romans. We might start off in Romans chapter 1. As I mentioned, our understanding of Scripture uh, needs to be uh, uh, complete or in context with all the scripture. If you start reading the Bible, which I, I try and encourage everyone to read the Bible from beginning to end continually as a continual discipline. You see in uh, uh, what we're talking about, you see in um, Genesis, I think about 11 or 12, Abraham's first comes into the, uh, the narrative. And he and his people, effectively, are through all the way to the end. So God's got a plan and purpose. And if we don't read the Bible uh, all the way through, and obviously we don't have the Spirit of God, we're not going to understand it. And so if you don't understand these things, you really need to ask the Lord, are you, do you actually belong to him? Have you been born again? Do you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you? So let's look at Romans chapter uh, 1. Just, just a few just a brief overview, because this is, um, as I mentioned, it's all in connection all in context uh, with uh, the previous chapters. 1 verse 7, we see God's grace. It says there, to, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're outside of Christ, God wants to give you peace and grace. And for those of us in Christ, praise the Lord for that. We need to realize, uh, verse 16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first... And also to the Greek. So uh, it's mentioned there the Jew first. So it's important we go get the gospel out to the Jew first. And uh, praise the Lord, we're, we're seeking to do that. Uh, and thank you so much for your fellowship being sent out from this church to do that. So we're very, very grateful. But notice here the gospel is the power of God for salvation. As the Lutheran follower was saying, his baptism, you say, perhaps I grew up with the scriptures, I just believe, believe just generally about God, that's not going to cut it. The gospel itself is the power of God and our salvation. You need to understand that you are a sinner. You're uh, sorry about your sin, that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for your sin. He was buried. Three days later, he was resurrected. Over 500 witnesses. And if you put your faith and trust in him, if you believe in him, you receive him, you call upon him, and you stand in him, then you are saved. But if you are not that case, if there's any doubt in your mind, I, I encourage you, I pray that you would sort that out with the Lord because the end is nigh. In fact, it could be for any one of us today as we drive home. We know that's, that happens all the time. So we see that verse in 16. Now, also God's character here is revealed in verse 18. God is perfect, and so for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against, what does it say there? All, all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So every aspect of ungodliness, God is not just angry, not just the normal word for anger, God is wrath. I mean, that's very strong. 
ungodliness and unrighteousness. Now, friends, I don't know what your situation is, what your personal separation is and what your separation from sin is. If you're doing something that's not right before the Lord, I can strongly encourage you to get rid of it, to repent. Repent. Uh, that's a command by the Lord Jesus Christ, to repent. Because if you read the rest of this chapter, you see a, a, dis, a, a decline and then God gives them over to this and gives them over to that. And the, the current state in Australia is evidence of a departure from God and it's going to get a lot worse. If you read the rest of this chapter, you see what God's going to do. You don't reap and not sow. And down in verse 32, we'll see there, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same. What does it say there? But have pleasure in them that do. Now, do you have any pleasure in watching things where God's name is blasphemed or people are involved in immoral acts or any of, the, any of the lists here? Now, I say that if you turn on the TV and you watch the average movie or the, I don't know what, I've been using it for a long time, the TV, I don't know what's on, but if you watch any kind of program, you'll see people doing these things. Now, my question to you before the Lord is, do you take any pleasure in that? You're obviously watching it, if you do. The Lord rebuke you, the Lord reprove you. This is wicked. How do you expect to have fellowship with the Lord if you're unfaithful to him? God's angry at everything. His wrath, all ungodliness and unrighteousness. And we should be a pure people and it's going to affect our testimony. God's merciful, but he expects you to repent. He expects you to repent. Um, chapter 2, verse 8 to 11. And anything else the Lord's talking to you about. But unto them that are contentious, and a lot of people like contend when you get down to sin, because uh, Jesus Christ said they hate him because of it, and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness. Do you understand? It's either brain righteousness or unrighteousness. Indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil to the Jew of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. So God wants to bring you through to a situation where you're walking in the Spirit, where you have deep fellowship with God, where God's filling you with the fruits of righteousness, you're a productive Christian. If you're not in that case, then you're not right with God. And perhaps you don't belong to Him. If you're not producing like a fruit, if you go out to see an orchard and it's loaded with fruit, good fruit, if that is not your life, there's something wrong with you. Now, the young ones, they're still growing. We accept that for the younger people. But us, us who are older, even new Christians ought to be producing fruit straight away. Yeah? Uh, so take that as an encouragement, an exhortation. If it's a reproof, it's a reproof. And it's a rebuke, take it as a rebuke. But take it from the Lord. It's not it's here in the Scriptures. We'll keep going. And this is, as we get to the, the um, I'll say... Uh, because I said 27 wherefores, 7 therefore, uh, 7 wherefores, 27 therefores. As we get to story 34, the 34th level, uh, toward the end there, I want you to understand that all these things are built on. So if you fail the grace of God in this area here, you're not going to be understand the things later on. Does that make sense? And we don't want to be uh, lack understanding what God's will is, do we? I hope not. Um, let's have a look at... Um, well, just quote a few verses uh, in Romans 3. Um, 
Uh, as is written, there is no, none righteous, no, not one. And then for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We understand that. So that's, a, that's God's concluded everybody under sin. We'll go to uh, Romans chapter 4. 4, we'll start in verse perhaps 23. We might go to 22. This describes Abraham. The Jewish people are because they're, they're there because of Abraham's faithfulness. And therefore it was imputed unto him, to him for righteousness. And this is Abraham. He believed God. It was credited to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also. But for us also to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Him that raised up Jesus, that's talking about God the Father. I just say, because there's a few JWs around the place, I don't like to call them Jehovah's Witnesses, I call them JWs, because they, they're not witnesses of Jehovah. But Romans 8.11 also talks about, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. So it's the Father, the Spirit. Now what Jesus said also in John 10, 17, he says, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay down my of, of myself, lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. So Jesus Christ has the power. Amen. The Holy Spirit has the power and God the Father is a picture of the Trinity there as well. Verse 25. But the point of the matter is, don't want to get cut off, uh, go sidetracked, but he raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. The belief in the resurrection is uh, without that there's no salvation. Verse 25, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Now, how many offenses you've done? He's delivered for all your offenses, all the offenses of Hitler. Everybody who's ever done the wrong thing, all those offenses, every one of them, the sins of the whole world, in fact. But he's raised again for our justification, that we can be just and upright, righteous before God, justified. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're today and you're looking for peace, and it's perhaps through your religion, for your belief system, or your church, or your baptism, or someone, someone told you, or some book you read, that's not a lasting basis. It says here, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what a major section. I'd like to actually preach a series of messages in the middle of the Romans because that's the key to the Christian life. Identifying yourself in Christ. He is our righteousness. Um, by whom we have access by faith into this grace. So it's only through faith you have access to this grace, this unmerited favor with God and this forgiveness wherein we stand and we ought to be strong in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and strong in the power of his might. Again, every one of us should be like that. Wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. God wants to be glorified in us and us to be glorified in him. And that's what we, we, we should be excited. So that's a wonderful truth there in Romans. Again, we're building, building here. Um, let's go to chapter 5, verse 8. 5 verse 8, it says, But God commended his love toward us, in that while we yet sinners, Christ died for us. So if you, if you feel convicted as a sinner today and separated from God in some way, God wants to reconcile. While you yet sinners, doesn't matter what sin you're involved in, repent of that unbelief, repent of that disobedience, come to God in faith. Again, we're going to be looking on the nature of repentance soon. 
But Christ died for you. Christ paid for every single sin you've ever done, ever will do. All the sins of the whole world. So what a wonderful, wonderful Savior we have. But it goes on from there. Uh, much more than being now justified by his blood. And actually, when I got saved, I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ's blood. I was convicted of sin. When I put my faith and trust in Jesus, specific his blood sacrifice to me, that's when I was born again. God's spirit came into me. I arrived home. My mother said, she looked at me. She said, you're different. And I was different. I was a different person because I had Christ dwelling in my heart by faith. I had the spirit of God dwelling in me. And if there hasn't been a change in your life, and that may not have been apparent as mine, but if there has not been a definite change where you come to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you're probably not in the faith. Do you understand? It's up to you. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's not my position to say you're saved or not saved. I'm not, I'm just saying maybe, but it's you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Here's a key to the Christian life, verse 9. Much more than being now justified by his blood we should be saved from wrath through him much more than being justified we should be saved from wrath through him only through the Lord Jesus Christ we should be saved from from wrath for if then we were enemies uh, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son much more here we get this much more again being reconciled we should be saved by his life is Christ Jesus living in you? We sing that song, Christ liveth in me. That's a beautiful song if it's true. Is Christ dwelling in your hearts by faith? Is he in you? Saved by his life, but also living. Living. Living in a relationship with him. He's making his session for you. You're speaking to him. How often? Constantly. That's what he expects. And that's going to lead to... Sorting out all the issues you have between you and God and living a fruitful life. Let's keep going. Uh, let's keep going. But as we go, I want to ask, I've got it in my notes here, evaluate yourself based on what's thus far. Am I in the faith? Do I have the fruit that God expects? Is, this, is there aspects, perhaps, perhaps your children, perhaps your family, perhaps your brothers and sisters can see it? There's issues in your life that don't... That, um, don't indicate that you have the Spirit of God living in you. Prove yourself. Prove yourself in the, in the faith. Um, I, I, I'll, give you a, I'll give you one proof. Is the same Spirit dwelling in you the one who authored the Bible? I mean, can you say, what I'm saying is, can you say amen to all the Word of God? Because when I was a brand new Christian, I didn't know the Bible. But I knew the Bible was the Word of God. Jesus Christ is called the word of God and so that's a good question is all the word of, is the word of God is the same spirit when you read the word of God is it alive and powerful if it's not there's a, there's a real question there I'm not going to go into so much in, in, in 11 and uh, next, next chapter so much there's so much there but we need to reckon ourselves dead when Jesus Christ died on the cross we need to completely identify with Jesus Christ's death and that's one of the things pastors talking about baptism his death his burial and his resurrection, identifying completely our old man was crucified with him, your old man, your old nature. And if you can identify yourself, wreck and reconcile, some people do the books, we finish at the end of the month and we bring this over here, you can reconcile that your life is dead, you've died with Jesus Christ, you're crucified and dead with him, 
and then you identify also with his life in union and fellowship with him. That is how, it's simply how to live the Christian life. Because if you're trying to do it in the flesh, you're going to be failing and sorely disappointed. We cannot do it. It's only through him. It's only in Christ. So it's not some religious effort. Um, I should be moving on, but it's, it's hard. There's so much here. And not, we'll go um, verse 11, also in Romans chapter 5. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. So the atonement is in Christ. Perhaps today you're not understanding, you're hearing this, you're not understanding actually who or why Jesus Christ had to die. But in Adam, when Adam sinned against God, we're his children, all this, the sin is passed on to us. And it says there, towards the end of the chapter there, um, toward the end of the chapter, verse 17, For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, no, it's a gift of righteousness, not our own righteousness, shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Reign in life by Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. So if you're trying to live your life outside of Christ, you're condemned already. Even so, the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. So you're completely justified in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's probably been preached in this pulpit, I don't know, 500 times more, maybe 1,000 times. But if, it's, if, if you haven't come to that, you need to come to that point. For as by one man's disobedience, many were, many were, many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. And if when you read the law of God, you start reading through the Ten Commandments and lists of sins in the Bible, it should be very apparent that you are a serious sinner against God. And if that's not the case, if you're justifying yourself by your own righteousness, again, you're outside. It's hard for me to say that I shouldn't say categorically, but it's hard for me to believe that you're, you belong to the Lord at all if you justify yourself. So the offense uh, might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. This is a wonderful encouragement. It doesn't matter what kind of sin you've been involved in or how far you've gone, God's able to multiply that grace to cover everything. And there's no reason why you shouldn't have the fullness of life in Christ. That as sin hath, hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, I'm trying to draw this back. All these things are, are basic doctrines. And so if you're having trouble with something advanced, as we get towards the end of the chapter, because it gets harder things to understand, perhaps, for some, and more um, serious points, you need to make sure that you're right with all these doctrines. Does that make sense? And I encourage you to read through the whole book of Romans and, and do it again. There's so much in there. Uh, Romans 7, 4, it deals with, this comes in after, uh, talks about the marriage relationship. And a woman, um, uh, I'll just read Romans 7, verse 4. Uh, it's talking about how a woman can be married to, one man should be serving him, yes? And if, so if, um, if the woman which has a husband is bound by the law to a husband so long as he liveth, when she's dead, when when um, uh, when he's dead, then she can be married to someone else. Yes, that's what it's talking about. So that's the background of seven verse four. There's more more doctrine there uh, in one three, but I don't want to focus on that right now. Wherefore, my brethren, 
ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ. So in the Lord Jesus Christ, we become dead to the law, that you should be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit under God. And again, if you're not bearing fruit under God, perhaps it's because you're not married in union with the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not, here there's one with the Lord, is one spirit. If you don't have that spiritual union with the Lord Jesus Christ, that may be your issue. And you can solve that today or any time. Or maybe you've grieved the spirit or quenched the spirit. That can be solved through repentance. Um, repentance. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the Lord did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law that being dead wherein we were held... We should, not, she should serve in unison of, of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Verse 18, again the flesh, for I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. There's nothing in my flesh, nothing in my flesh is, is any good. It's only the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you also believe that? Do you say amen to that? Amen. Or are you trying to justify yourself in the flesh, in your, the good things you can do or the things that would commend you before others? For the will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. Let's have a, have a little look, have a little checkup. We've talked about repentance, we've talked about sin. Let's actually have a little a look at a list here. Galatians chapter 5, let's have a look. Galatians chapter 5, we'll start around, around 19, maybe a bit before. We'll have a look at Galatians and what God expects from us if we see this character in us. So in our flesh dwelleth no good thing. So it's going to describe the, um, the fruit of the nature of our flesh. Let's start from verse 16 because there's an encouragement for us who are, who, are, who are in the faith. But if you're not in the faith, there's an opportunity to, to deal with it. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. So we need to feed our spirit, feed spiritually. And these are contrary the one to another so that you cannot do the things that you would. Now, are you feeding the flesh? If you're feeding the flesh the carnality, uh, sin, any kind of sin in your life, then it may be you're not going to get the victory. Well, actually, I wonder, how will you ever get the victory? Unless you repent of it. I put to you not. You may be troubled or burdened with some sin that's been troubling you for years. But unless you come to terms that you're not going to overcome. Contrary one another, so you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication. Adultery is clear. Fornication is a broad, broader term. Uh, uncleanness. Um, that would be like any kind of impurity. Any kind of impurity in your life. Lasciviousness also be licentious license i'll do what i feel like i'm going to do what i want i know god says this or the bible says that but i'm going to do what i want that's a work of the flesh that's your flesh reacting contending against god idolatry witchcraft hatred variance variance is a quarrel should we be quarreling we try and teach our children not to quarrel but should we be quarreling as christians wrangling contention strife any kind of strife going on uh, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I've told you in time past, 
that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I'm pretty, perhaps even get a bit emotional about false doctrine concerning Israel because I believe a lot of people are going to hell in the lake of fire because of it. And so one of the subjects here is, is heresies, which is a Greek word, a sect, uh, um, uh, a disunion, um, a choice or a party. You're siding with something, someone, some group, some book, some theological system other than the clear written word of God. So if you read the word of God yourself, you should be able to come to the truth if you're going to walk before God in humility and meekness. And that's what God wants. It goes on, it goes on to say, um, as I've told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So if you're involved in any of these things, repent. Repent. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. Is that what you have in your life? How much do you want? How much capacity is there? I would like this to be multiplied and multiplied in my life. How about you? Meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lust. So it's against the principle of crucifying my old life, wrecking yourself dead, putting yourself there, picturing yourself, even picturing yourself dead with Christ, but alive, uh, alive with him and, and living in the spirit. So let's, let's, we've talked about sin now. What does God expect from sin? Because who's a sinner here today? Everyone. Now, some people say, or oh, there's a, actually another false doctrine that's taking, um, uh, destroying, uh, doing a lot of damage in the churches, let's say that way. If you turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we'll look at a definition of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll look at a definition here of repentance. Now, the background, there was... Um, a particular a form of adultery was happening in the previous, um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And Paul had actually passed judgment on it. He said, um, when you gather together, I think it says, my spirit is with you, uh, to hand over one, hand, hand one over, this one over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that his spirit might be saved. So we, we had to come to understand he's a believer, but God, uh, he didn't want any sin in the church. In fact, Ephesians 5.3, let it not be once named among you as become a saint. So it deals with a general form of immorality, not named. God's very serious about it. But let's look, about, look at repentance here. So if we're involved in sin, what should we do? Verse 9, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. Now rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrowed to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. Now notice Paul's, the Apostle Paul's goal was not to do any damage to anyone. In fact, if we repent, we, we should, it'll yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness for those who exercise thereby. So if you're going to repent, it's going to bring forth good fruit in your life. Isn't that a good motivation? So they were sorry, but they were sorry after a godly manner. For godly sorrow worketh repentance. So if you're really sorry about your sin, you're going to repent of it. Not going to make excuses, you're going to repent of it. Not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. People are sorry. I used to preach in the jail, uh, in the, in the lockup, and I'd see people who just are not sorry at all about their sin. 
It's going to work death. Other people were very sorry. They were trembling. They were very concerned about what they had done. For behold, this soul, and we're going to see that here. For behold, this soul, same thing that you sorrowed after, a godly sort. Now, here's the characteristics. And I want to ask you a question. Have you ever repented before God? Is this what you've seen? Specifically, what carefulness it wrought in you? Were you careful about it? Were you sorry, sorry about it? Yea, what clearing of yourselves? Have you sought to clear yourself of sin? I'll just, go, I'll just give an illustration. I was using it the other day with someone on this subject, but if the, if the police pulled you over and you perhaps didn't have your seatbelt on, one of your taillights was out and perhaps one of your passengers didn't have a seat on, and you were doing, say, 5, 10 kilometres an hour over, the, over, and the police pulled you over and you said, oh, I'm so sorry, officer. I didn't realise it. Let me put the seatbelt on immediately. Joe put the seatbelt on. You know, we've got one of these Fords. They have the tail lights. Well, I quickly, I'll go and fix, fix that up immediately. I'll put that tail light, fix that up. And, uh, and five o'clock, I'm so sorry. I didn't realise. I, d- I didn't want to break the limit. What's that police officer possibly going to do to you? Whoso confesseth, confesseth and forsaketh his sins shall have mercy. You might have mercy. But if you're not going to repent, if you say, yeah, is what I do all the time. What's he going to do? And if you have a bad attitude and continue on, you might get a... What they, they put the car off the road. What do they call that? A defect. You get a defect notice. 500 bucks for the seatbelt. 300 bucks for his seatbelt. And uh, what is it? $200 for the 510Ks of the speed limit. Do you understand? There's going to be a judgment. And so we need to humble ourselves. So what clearing of yourselves? Yea, what indignation! <coughs> What fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge. So this is genuine to the core repentance. In all things ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. My question to you is, have you ever repented like this before God? Again, if, you, if there's no repentance, it's hard for, me how you'd find, hard for me to understand how you'd ever obtain mercy and the grace and salvation in Christ. And notice in Hebrews 6, uh, not laying again the foundations of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. It goes on baptisms. But the foundation of repentance from dead works. Now, there's six foundations mentioned in that passage. If that section of the building, there was a bulldozer there and you pulled out all the foundations of that bu- the building here, how would the rest of the building go after a while? would be a serious problem in that area but it would it would be bad it would but it would affect all the way through the building eventually so if you have not um, if you haven't got that foundation in your life then there's a problem you're going to be problems and that's perhaps why things aren't going as well as you expect so we've dealt with uh, repentance there um, Let's go to Romans chapter 8. And here is a therefore. I don't know which, which number it is, but it's uh, perhaps it's level number 15. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Be interesting to see. So here appears a therefore. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, sorry, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in 
if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. But notice also says, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now, if you have an NIV or one of the modern Bibles, you're most likely not going to find that last statement. But it's clear it's in context, because for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Modern translations and the devil's desire to remove certain sections of the Bible is very strong in the doctrine of Christ and the doctrine of repentance and the doctrine of walking in the Spirit. And here's one clear example. But God wants us to walk in the Spirit. So there's no condemnation to those who walk not after the flesh, but walk in the Spirit. Now we have to choose to do that. God's given us power for everyone. It says in Second Peter that um, he's given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything. He's not withheld nothing, anything at all. And so you have to choose to walk in the Spirit, believing for salvation, full identity in Christ, Christ living in you, wrecking yourself dead, yielding and obeying, and that's the key to a successful Christian life and fulfilling God's purpose for you. And there's no telling what he'll do. But the adversary in our flesh works against that to try and stop that. So stop feeding the flesh, repent, feed, the, feed the, your spirit by hearing the word of God, listening to it, reading it. I'm going to one of the exhortations at the end is, I'm going to cut, uh, hit it right now because uh, it's in context of what we're just talking about, but Romans chapter tw- uh, 16, verse 25, we'll just read that. Romans 16, verse 25, it says there, now under, I'll just wait till you get there because it's very important. Now under him, now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Now if you're struggling with sin, if you're at church Sunday morning, you make your very best to Sunday night, Wednesday night, men's prayer time, serving the local church, how much opportunity are you going to have for sinning? But if you're staying away from church, are you perhaps watching the television or some wicked movie or doing some unrighteousness? Honestly, ask yourself. You need to repent. You need to be very, very sorry about it because that's, that's going to the consequences are great. We're going to have to appear and we have to give account of every idle word. Remember, God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness. So God's very serious about this. And so back to, we come up to Romans 9 now. Just a couple of verses in Romans 9. Romans 9, 27. Just to review as we get here. So we've dealt with God's promises to Israel. So a few promises from the Old Testament. What he's going to do, he's going to finish the work and he's going to set up his reign. Um, we've dealt with, previous to that, these 144,000 need to get it. We also need to preach the gospel to every creature. But Romans 9.27, it says, Isaiah also crieth concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. So we're putting this all in con- in connection together. That's my goal. Hopefully that uh, you can see that. Um, remnant shall be saved the number of children of Israel shall be as a sanity a remnant shall be saved for he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness because a short work will the Lord make upon the earth let's turn in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 10 to see a, a cross reference here specifically here see what God says about this now as we're turning there in the Bible Probably about two and a half thousand times when it says God in the Old Testament, it says Elohim. It's a it's a compass. It's a unity, three in one. Do you understand Elohim? It's a L is a singular, 
Elohim is a plural. And so it's the same thing for masculine men. One, two, three men, we call them Anashim, singular, Anush or Ish, one, singular. So Elohim Achad is, is, is one, but he's not um, isolated. But here, notice the remnant, I bring out that point because here it says in Isaiah 20, uh, 10 verse 20, where it talks about this cross-reference for this specific passage, it says, the remnant shall return. That word for return also means repent. Return, turn back, even the remnant of Jacob unto the, what does it say there? Mighty God, El Gibor, that's in Hebrew. What does it say in the previous chapter? Just hold your position there. 961, to us a child is born, son is given. Come should be in shorter, what's his name? The Mighty God. So Israel is going to return to? The mighty God, which is described in the previous chapter of the Lord Jesus Christ to fulfill this. So Israel is going to turn to the Lord Jesus Christ in the end. Verse 22 of Isaiah chapter 10. For though my people Israel be as the sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return. The consumption decreed shall overflow with righteousness. So God's going to finish it off. In fact, in Jeremiah 30, um, I think verse 7 around there, talks about the, the, great, the day of... Um, uh, Jacob's trouble, he should be saved out of it. So God's going to save him, but again, as far as I understand from the scriptures, one third will be left. A lot of people are going to die. And verse 23, for the Lord God of hosts shall make a consumption even determined in the midst of the land. So again, that destruction. 11 verse 1, Romans. Let's go to 11, and we're getting, to, getting towards the end here. I know you get a chance to preach here once every four and a half years, so... Bear with me if I preach a little bit over time. I don't know how we're going for time, but thank you for bearing with me. Romans 11, verse 1. And it says there, I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid, for I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. God has not cast away. So, God has a plan for Israel. I, I hope you can see it clearly from the scripture. He's going to fulfill it. Anyone who does says he's not going to fulfill it is a heretic. Now, we're getting to the final stage here. There's a few more chapters. I'm not going to pull anything further out this stage. We're going to go to the end. Um, I'm not in the same that in those earlier chapters. Let's go straight to 16, um, Romans 16 now. Romans 16. And what does it say here? Verse 17. Let's start in verse 17. This is advanced teaching now because we're dealing with the issue of separation. And notice this is at the end. It says there, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned. What's the doctrine we've just learned? We've just written a, a long letter, Romans chapter 16, but the, really, I mean, you could say the Holy Scripture, but not in context with this, the doctrine which you have learned. And what does it say with them? Say, so invite them over for a cup of tea, bid them Godspeed. What does it say? Avoid them. If someone's not, thus saith the Lord, this is what the Bible says, 
inviting people or having fellowship with people are contrary to the doctrine of Christ, the word of God is very dangerous. How many churches are destroyed now? How many churches are real fundamental? What you say, a fundamentalist church? What fundamentalist church is one says, this is what God says and that's it. And we're going to stand for it. It doesn't matter who it is. We're standing against it. No respect to person. It doesn't matter who, what their face looks like. Here's what God's word says. That's it. It says avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ. They're probably not a Christian. They're not serving. Perhaps if, anyway, perhaps if they are, they should come under conviction. But they serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly or their own heart. I think this. I think that. Now, here's how they do it. And by good words. And what? What does it say here? Fair speeches. I've got this nice speech to share with you. Deceive the hearts of the simple. But again... They're causing divisions and offences, offences contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. It's extremely dangerous. People can go to hell over it. It's very, very dangerous. If you had a wolf in your sheepfold, what would you do with it? Avoid them. For their own belly, actually someone said shoot it, but we're not supposed to be doing that to people, but it's as, it's as serious as that. God is very, very strict on this. I can't communicate you how serious this is. For they that are such serve not Lord Jesus Christ, but their own body, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience, here we go, for your obedience has come abroad unto all men. So what do we need to do? Be obedient. I am glad, therefore, on your behalf, but yet I would have you wise unto that which is good, and simple concern if evil is like personal separation here. This is perhaps 17's ecclesiastical separation in the church. And the personal separation concerning personal sins. We just dealt with some. Simple concern evil. Now here's the fruit of it. I'll ask a question before we read this verse. Who here would like to be overcome by the devil? Look at the verse. What does it say next? Remember, this is after previous 16 chapters. We're getting to the end here. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So if you're not going to do these previous verses, how do you expect to get the promise of God overthrowing the devil? We talked in previous chapters about full identification with Jesus Christ, full identification with his word, with his doctrine. Now, why do people get into a situation like this? Anyway, I, actually, I'd like to preach a lot longer on this first. I'm not going to because I've got a couple more thoughts before the end. But I personally would like God to bruise Satan under my feet so that Jesus Christ can have his full purposes in my life and fill everything he wants to do with my life. And if you're not going to be separated like God says and take a stand for God's word, he's not going to do it in your life. You're holding him back. You're identifying yourself with the adversaries, the flesh and the devil. False teachers, false doctrine. It's wicked. You say, I'm just being a nice person. That's not love. We'll have a definition of love. We're going to turn just, actually, turn your Bibles to um, Philippians chapter 1. We'll talk about this characteristic. I'll just share a few verses as we go. Philippians chapter 1, verse 8. Because a lot of people say, look, an evangelical church is a nice, tolerant church. They tolerate everybody. doesn't matter what you believe about baptism or about end times or anything. We just love you and come on in. Is that what they say? 
yeah, that's about right. We just have everybody in. Nice. That's not God. That's not God's way. Philippians 1.8. As we go there, I'll say, I'll just share a few verses uh, from, 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 I'll just tell you, Proverbs uh, 28 verse 5. It says, Evil men understand not judgment, but they that seek the Lord understand all things. So if you seek the Lord, you can understand everything. It says all things here. But evil men understand not judgment. So if people don't understand it, there's a, there's a characteristic flaw in that person. Do you understand? There's a reason for everything. I used to work boats. I used to drive boats, uh, work on boats. And the, one of the, the skipper always said, there's a reason for everything. That's right. There is a reason. So evil men understand not judgment. They that seek the Lord understand all things. It also says, uh, Proverbs 14, 6, A scorner seeketh wisdom and findeth it not. So if your attitude is scorn, if you do not want the, the truth in all humility and all meekness, you're not going to find it. I don't see how you're ever going to find it. Because it says here, but knowledge is easy to him that understandeth. You divide it right, you're going to, it's easy. You want to study the Bible? No problem. Any doctrine? You can understand it? No problem. Let's read uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 8. For, for God is my record, how greatly I long after you, all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. So here's the love, here's true love. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in... What does it say there? It says all judgment. All judgment. Why? Let's, let's see how this builds. That you may approve things that are... Does it say average or excellent? Excellent. God wants us to approve things that are excellent only. And what's the purpose in that? What's the next verse say? Or well, next part of this verse. That you may be sincere and what? Without offense till the day of Christ. Who here would like to be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ? I want to be. Well, you're going to have to love one another in, in knowledge, in it, but in all judgment. No messing around. Don't, doesn't matter what face they've got, who they are. Thus saith the Lord. If you want to finish your race well, let's keep going on this. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. And the fruit in this life, being fit, verse 11, read it. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, under the glory and praise of God. So again, it's all in Christ. It's all in Christ. But God wants us to, to judge it. Judge righteously, walk before him perfectly according to his word. And not stand for false doctrine, false teachers, anything that's false. Avoid them, it says. Because if you're not going to avoid them, I don't know how you're going to finish your race well. I don't know how you're going to, the Lord's going to overcome the adversary in your life. I can't tell you how absolutely serious this is. Dead, this is deadly serious. If you don't respond to this, if the Lord tarries, it could be your children or grandchildren up going to hell over it. We'll finish off. I want to finish off. Um, Pause. We'll talk about the, the, the. Before I finish, though, I just want to share. Um, at the end, at the end, it talks about Second Timothy chapter three, verse seven. I want to finish off a positive note, but before we do. We're talking about the end. This is the characteristic of the end. 2 Timothy chapter 3 it describes this present generation, but it also is an aspect of here what we're talking about in the area of separation. So 2 Timothy chapter 
3, sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 3. There is no chapter. Anyway, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Um, I'll just read the first part. This know that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own souls. We see that now. They're also covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy. Now, there's a list. Perhaps there's only one of these characteristics would take one off the path. Without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness. They acknowledge God in some way, but denying the power thereof. There's not a living power, living relationship. With God asked J.W., I said, do you get thousands? Does Jehovah answer thousands of your prayers directly? He said, no. I said, you don't know Jehovah. If you know God, if you know Jehovah Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, then you should be getting direct answers to your prayer all the time. You should be in constant relationship with the living God. But these, though, deny the power thereof from such turn away. Let's jump down to verse 7. <clears throat> Ever learning. What does it say? Never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Friends, we're going to see the Lord Jesus Christ. Talks about turn away from such people. And the, one of the characteristics are um, here in this text here is that ever learn and never able to come to the truth. And never able to, to show you from the scriptures clear, open it up, explain it clearly, understand it. They're not able to come to a knowledge of the truth. And there's lots of, I don't want to say it, there's lots of most people today call themselves Christians are like this they fall into this and that's indicated that we are aware at the end times the later times so let us purify ourselves uh, in our relationship with the Lord how do we how do we how can we wash ourselves clean ourselves spiritually by the word of God come to church be be faithful in the fellowship serve Repent of any known sin. Respond and have a humble, meek response. And if you're not saved, get saved. You can talk to someone in church today or you can find out, perhaps if you're listening from the internet, about how to be saved. But you, you need to do it yourself. It says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Come to the Lord yourself. For those who are in Christ and striving for the faith, God bless you richly. Be encouraged. The Lord Jesus Christ is about to return. And our uh, gathering to him is very close. We're excited about that. And we should be rejoicing excited. Amen. Let us be strong in the grace of the Lord. Let's ask the Lord for a blessing. Heavenly Father, so grateful, Lord, to have the word of the living God in our hands. Help us to read it, believe it, obey it. And Lord Jesus, help us to respond to you directly. Lord, if you've spoken to someone today, I pray you've spoken to everyone here today, that we would respond and do what you're calling us to do. Lord, we'd be absolutely faithful. Lord Jesus, when you were here on earth, uh, the zeal uh, of thy house ate, ate thee up. And Lord, we need to be like that, full of zeal, full of passion for thee, the church, uh, the pillar and ground of truth, the church. We're so grateful, Lord, for allowing us to be together. We're so grateful for our pastor. I pray you'd strengthen him and bless him, guide him in every way. Lord, keep him in on every side, Lord, that he may fulfill his course with joy and as we uh, are members of this local church that we, those of us who are members of the local church may also 
uh, follow his good example, be faithful to the end. Or principally, Lord Jesus, you're our example. We're so grateful for uh, good godly leadership, but help us to even be more godly, more like Christ, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're not saved, talk to someone about it.